If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Hebrews and Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. Our focus will be on verses 19 and 20, but for context's sake, we begin in verse 11. Hebrews 6, 11. Hear God's word. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, but that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Verse 19. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Amen. Let's come to God in prayer. Holy Spirit of God, as we turn our attention to your word and open up your truth, we pray, guide us in all truth and show us Christ. We long to see Jesus and to look full into his wonderful face. Holy Spirit, impress the truth of your word upon our hearts. We pray that our hearts would be good soil, soil that bears much fruit to the praise of your glory and grace. We have sung your praises with our lips. We now turn to worshiping with our ears. Speak, O Lord, your servants are listening. This we pray in the name of the living word, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. This hope, this hope in verse 19 I believe goes all the way back to chapter 6, verse 11, where we began. This hope goes back to the full assurance of hope. And, and this hope most certainly looks forward to Christ. Our hope, as you all well know, is in Christ and in his high priesthood, as we read, according to the order of Melchizedek. This hope looks forward to his intercession, to his mediatorship as our representative before Heavenly Father. Apart from this hope, apart from Christ, we would be, all of us, without hope and hopeless. But now he is our refuge. He is, as we read, the anchor, sure and steadfast. 
It is Christ who enters behind the veil. Jesus Christ is the promised one. He is the Christos, the anointed one. He is the fulfillment of God's promise by which God swore to God that all who flee for refuge and lay hold of Christ, his person and work, all who exercise faith and trust in him will have this hope, this full assurance, as it says in verse 11. Verse 15, this promise, this oath, verse 16, this refuge and this strong consolation, verse 18, belong to all those who have trusted in and are holding on to Christ. God promises and swears by oath on the basis of the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ so that we might have strong encouragement and the full assurance of hope. And so this hope, verse 19, goes backwards and forwards. This hope is the hope of the book of Hebrews, whose central theme is the superiority and the supremacy of Christ. Christ is the hope of our salvation. Christ, our sure and steady anchor, an anchor for our souls, an anchor that, that does not go down, you see. But Christ is an anchor that goes up. An anchor that goes up, up into the depths of heaven, into the deepest part of heaven, as it were. An anchor that goes up, not down, an anchor for our storm-tossed souls. And so I hope that picture helps you. And it is the title of my sermon this evening, The Upside-Down Anchor. Now, if you remember from last week, Pastor Dave introduced us to the reason, the motivation behind responding to exhortation. Look at verse 11. Again, we desire, the author of Hebrews says, we desire diligence, not sluggishness, not laziness, but, but faith, as he says in verse 12, that imitates those who trusted in God's irrevocable word and thus inherited his promises. God Friends, is immutable. He is unchanging. And thus, his promise is sure. And his oath is unbreakable. Both of which are given so that we might have strong consolation, strong encouragement. We have a promise, a covenant, if you will, and an oath. God swears. And that for our encouragement. And not just to encourage us, but to give us strong encouragement so that we might have strong consolation, so that we would have not just certainty, but an absolute certainty. In fact, God wants to add surety to our certainty. Look at verse 18. That by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Let us then, verse 18, flee for refuge. Let us flee. Listen to the Greek word for flee. 
Fugo, where we get the word, the English word, fugitive. Let us then turn from false hopes, flee from the wrath and judgment of God, turn from our sin and turn from our unbelief to lay hold of and hold on to the hope that is set before us, to flee from sin and unbelief and to find refuge in Christ, to respond to and lay hold of the salvation that he so freely offers, yea, that, that, he, has, that he has set just before us. Now, I want you to see the tension in this passage. And our focus is only going to be on two verses tonight. Verses 19 and 20. But I want you to see the tension that the author of Hebrews creates as he writes. In the midst of his warm exhortation, which began in verse 9, and a strong encouragement, which we read, verses 13 to 18. The author here, he refrains from explicitly mentioning Jesus' name until the very end of this section. Now, why? Why is he creating this tension? Well, he wants to load the bases. It's the bottom of the ninth. Two outs. Full count. The crowd rises to their feet. The tension is thick. It's the most important game of the year. The pitcher winds up. And then you hear the name. You hear, you hear the sound of that pine making contact. You hear the name Jesus. Jesus our high priest. And look at how he creates this tension. Faith and patience and hope. The full assurance of hope. Hope in the promise of God. He swears by oath. What is this hope? Who is this hope? Lay hold of this hope, he says. Hope is then described as an anchor. Hope is then, it is personified, we read in verse 19. This hope enters Behind the veil, hope is a forerunner who goes ahead of us. And as the tension builds, as the author of Hebrews winds up, as it were, Jesus Christ, He is our hope. He is the fulfillment of God's promise. God has sworn by His Son, Christ is all, in whom all of the promises of God are yes and amen, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. And so, after this chapter, we are led to the high mountain of the priesthood of Jesus Christ. The priesthood that is in accord with the order, as we read in verse 20, of Melchizedek. The author takes us to the Himalayas, as it were. And so, he picks up in chapter 7, if you remember where he left off in chapter 5, verse 10, where he gave us a brief commercial, just a, just a, a snapshot of the priesthood of Jesus according to the order of Melchizedek. Well, let me give you an outline because I've said a bunch 
But let me give you an outline so that you can follow along as we go. Two points tonight. Firstly, Christ is the anchor of our souls. And then secondly, the anchor enters into the presence of God. Again, Christ is the anchor. And the anchor enters. Now, we're going to move through the outline rather quickly so that there's some time at the end to unpack and to explain the person and work of Christ. What qualifies Jesus to be the anchor? And what qualifies him to enter behind the veil into the presence of God? Okay, firstly then, Jesus Christ is the anchor of our souls. And if you've been following closely, the author of Hebrews gives us another nautical illustration. You remember from chapter 2, verse 1, where he refers to drifting. We must pay all the more closer attention to the gospel that was preached to us, lest we drift. And again, in that same chapter, Christ is referred to as the captain of our salvation. The images of Christ standing at the helm, leading, as it were, many sons to glory, chapter 2, verse 10. And here, here, this hope, it is described as an anchor, an anchor. And notice something, it is ours. We are not going to possess this hope in the future. It's not that that we once had hope, but rather, present tense, this hope we now have. This hope we have. In other words, it is our hope continually, habitually, and progressively. This hope we have as an anchor for our souls. And this anchor, as I mentioned, does not go down, but is fixed in heaven. This anchor goes up to heaven and is hooked around the very throne of God. Now, what does an anchor do? I think it's rather obvious. We don't need to be seamen to understand that an anchor stabilizes us. It secures our vessel, lest we drift. Let me ask you, beloved, are you, are you tossed? Are you tossed every which way by changing tides, the winds of, of doctrine or Or is your soul anchored so that when the waves of adversity, trial and and tribulation come, you are anchored, you are sure, steadfast and immovable. I think the last three years of my life as a minister have been the hardest three years of ministry. I think you can all, to a certain extent, testify Some of you have lived a little bit longer than others, but we just went through some very turbulent times. And many of us, and I would say all of us, were afraid to a certain extent, were we not? Listen, beloved. In this picture, the world is is as unstable as the ocean underneath us. It reels to and fro. The tides change. It is unpredictable. It is destabilizing the world underneath us. Our enemies sin, Satan and our flesh. They seek, as it were, to capsize our vessel, to sink us and to destroy us. 
We sing often, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control. That was written by a a man named Horatio Spafford. And he writes in the beginning of that song, as you remember, all your billows over me have rolled. And not too long before that, he had lost his children and his wife to drowning in the Mediterranean. And that's how he opens his hymn with the image of billows over me roll. And though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, there is a blessed anchor that controls, a blessed assurance that controls. Beloved church, His word is true and His promise is sure. Why? Why should we be tossed every which way? On Christ, the solid rock, we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Beloved church, in an ocean of the unpredictable, we have an anchor. This anchor stabilizes us so that we do not drift. It secures us so that we fret not. Remember this anchor, this stability, this surety and certainty of God of His promise, of His oath. Remember, these are not dependent upon you, on us. They are not dependent on us. If they were, if our certainty and and faith were dependent upon us, then we then we would, friends, we would have a styrofoam anchor. A styrofoam anchor that will not secure us. No. Instead, this anchor, if you will forgive me a little foolishness, is like Thor's hammer. No one is picking it up. It's not going anywhere. God is determined to show more abundantly the immutability of His Word. And so verse 17, if you look back, He confirms His promise with an oath. God's promise, His Word is bond. He doesn't need to swear upon something that is absolutely irrevocable, but He does. Why? Because He understands how unstable we are. And so He gives us not only a strong promise, but an oath. So that we might, verse 18, have strong consolation. So that we might have an anchor. Again, this is the anchor that comes from God and not from us. It is not a product of our faith. And we hear so much positivism and positive thinking in the church today, which is nothing but credulity. Oh, don't worry, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Everything's going to turn out to be okay. But this is not the anchor that's produced within ourselves that we can conjure up of ourselves. This anchor comes from God. It is a product of your faith. 
and faith is a gift from God. And so it is an anchor of our souls because faith is in the person. It is in the person of Jesus Christ who is the anchor. One commentator writes this, faithfulness to God, which is what we exercise, faithfulness to God demands that we first recognize that God is in fact faithful to God, to his word, to his promise. Otherwise, we build on sand, end quote. This hope we have as an anchor. Now, the recipients of this letter, they were familiar with anchors, just as you are. In the Mediterranean culture of the first century, the anchor metaphor was common. Depending on the size of a ship, these anchors could weigh hundreds of pounds. Now, by the time of the first century, most anchors were made out of iron or Led. In Acts 27, in verse 29, we find out that some boats, as the one Paul was on, were equipped with as many as four anchors. And they had crossbars and, and all kinds of hooks fastened to these anchors. And when an anchor was lowered into the sea, it, its teeth would take hold of the rocks below or the ocean floor to secure and stabilize the boat. Christian, we have an anchor for our storm-tossed souls. Stability for our fallen souls. And the author of Hebrews, and I wrote in my manuscript here, Paul, Paul goes on to describe this anchor as both sure and steadfast, as immovable and as immutable, unshaken and unshakable, firm and founded. This hope is an anchor. And so let me ask you again, what anchors your soul? Where is your stability? Is it in God? In His Word? Is it in Christ? Is it in His person and work? I want to remind you that all other ground is sinking sand. Jesus Christ is the anchor of our souls. Secondly, secondly, this anchor enters into the very presence of God. The anchor enters. Now entering, where? Where is he going? Where is this anchor going? What is he entering into? What is this? What is this behind? We read there in verse 19, behind the veil. Jump quickly with me to chapter 8. Chapter 8, just two chapters over, a chapter and a half. Look at verse 1. After the high mountain of the priesthood of Christ, in the order of Melchizedek, the author of Hebrews writes this. This is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest, who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. A, watch this, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. 
Friends, there is a true sanctuary. There is a, we read, heavenly sanctuary. A true tabernacle. A heavenly tabernacle, which the Lord set up and established. You see, the earthly tabernacle and temple served, look at verse 5 if you go down to chapter 8. They served as a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. As Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he, that is God, said, see that you make all things to the pattern shown you on the mountain. And so he says, Moses, make it like this. And so he takes him up to heaven and gives him a picture of that heavenly sanctuary, that heavenly tabernacle. You see this, Moses? Make it down there like this one. And so there is a pattern. There is a, there, there is a carbon copy made on earth. God said, like this, and then he showed Moses. Now, now then, beloved, the earthly tabernacle had a veil. You all remember. A veil that separated the holy of holies from the rest of the world. Again, look at verse 19. The anchor, which is designed to be stationary, is here the anchor that is animated and that is active. The anchor is personified and depicted as entering into the presence behind the veil. Brothers and sisters, here it is. This is our hope. The anchor of our souls has, he has passed through the heavens. According to Hebrews 4.14, he has passed through the heavens and has entered into the holiest place, not on earth, but in all of existence, into the holiest, holy place in heaven, into the very presence of God, we read, behind the veil. And he enters with his own blood, who is the Lamb of God, and simultaneously he is the appointed high priest, and he accomplishes what no sinful man could accomplish. He was what no sinful man could ever be. And he went where no one had ever gone or could go. Look at verse 20. Where the forerunner. The forerunner has entered for us. He did not go for himself. No. A priest intercedes for others. A priest intercedes for people. He has entered, having passed through the heavens, behind the veil, into the holiest holy place, and He did it for us. For you. He has done it for all who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before them. He has entered on our behalf to intercede before Heavenly Father for you and for me. To say, to say to God, all of these are, they're mine. I have paid for their sins. I died and I rose again. And you yourself 
God speaking to God, you have promised and you have sworn that those who believe will not perish, but have eternal life. And so he presents himself to God and he says, here I am and the children that you have given to me. And oh, how undeserving. And we go beyond undeserving. We say at this church that we are not just undeserving, but we are ill-deserving. Yet He has entered for us. Jesus Christ, He is our anchor. He is the anchor. And every high and stormy gale, we sang it, did we not? Perhaps you've been singing that song for years not knowing that it comes directly out of Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. And every high and stormy gale, finish it, my, within the veil. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. He is sure and He is steadfast. He is the manifestation of, of God's immutable promise. He is our certainty and our surety. Jesus Christ is the anchor of our souls. And Jesus Christ had, he has entered into the presence of God. Now, what qualifies him to be our anchor? What qualifies Jesus to enter? Now, about 20 years ago now, I read an unpublished sermon by one of my favorites. His name is Jonathan Edwards. Listen to the title of the sermon. 20 years ago, I was only eight. <laughs> I always make that joke, and you're still laughing. What a gracious people you are. The title of Edwards' sermon was, and we'll draw from Jonathan Edwards for the rest of the sermon, Listen to this title. Safety, fullness, and sweet refreshment found in Christ. And in that sermon, Edwards asks the very same question that I just asked. What qualifies Christ to be the anchor and to enter into the presence of God? And so I'm going to let Jonathan Edwards answer. And this is a paraphrase. What qualifies Jesus to be our anchor, to be the anchor? What qualifies him to enter into the presence of God on our behalf? Edward says this, because Jesus Christ has made it his own personal prerogative to save all, to save all who in fear of God's wrath have fled for refuge. He always was and is always about his father's business. In fact, it is the work in which he engaged before the foundation of the world. It is the work that, that he has always had in his thoughts and intentions in eternity past. He undertook to be the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, says Revelation. And thus a refuge to all who are afraid of God's holy wrath. And so he is qualified. Edwards and he would never undertake a work for which he was not sufficient. If he couldn't save them, then he would have never attempted to save them. But he has promised to be a refuge 
to save them precisely because he can. And that to the utmost. What qualifies this man to be the anchor, to enter on our behalf? God himself, his almighty father, appointed him to this work. You need not fear. You need not fear whether God will accept his work on your behalf. For it is God who appointed, it is God who commissioned, and God who empowered his son. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. This is the work of Heavenly Father. Therefore, Jesus was never near death till his father, rather when he was near death, he tells his father that he had finished the work which he gave him to do. Do you remember this in his high priestly prayer in John 17? He says, Father, I have finished the work that you gave me to do. What qualifies this man? If we are in Christ, justice is fulfilled. If we are in Christ, the law is kept in the highest. And that, without our hurt or harm. There are lots of punishments and condemnations that are issued in the law. But they fell upon Him in fulfillment and not upon us. Every jot and tittle of the law must be fulfilled rather than justice should take no place. Thus, justice for sinners is inescapable and unavoidable. But, but if the distressed, trembling soul who is afraid of justice, wrath and condemnation should fly to Christ to lay hold of hope and to find refuge, they will dwell in safety, untouched. Sheltered from the storm, the storm which falls upon the shelter. Christ bears the stroke of justice and he weathers the brunt of the storm. The curse of the law falls fully upon him. And Edwards writes this, that the awakened soul is often sensible that he or she has offended the majesty and honor of God, who is a jealous God that will not be mocked. He will not allow sin to go unpunished. An infinitely great God who will not bear to be affronted, to suffer his authority and majesty to be trampled on, much less his kindness abused and molested. A view of this God often terrifies awakened souls, and rightly so. But if they go to Christ, the honor of God's majesty and authority will not be in the least hurt. For what Christ has done has repaid God's honor to the full it is surely a more wonderful, Edwards writes, it is surely a more wonderful display of the honor of God's majesty to see an infinite and eternal person dying for those wrongs done against a holy God. Christ's obedience has honored God abundantly more 
then the sins that we have committed have dishonored him. God hates our sin, but not more than he delights in Christ's obedience, which he performed, that is Jesus, on our account. God is abundantly compensated. He desires no more. Christ's righteousness is of infinite worth and merit. Beloved, he is qualified. What qualifies Christ to enter? To be our anchor? Jesus Christ is so, he is so dear to the Father that all who are in him need not fear rejection. If Christ is accepted, you will be accepted. If Christ is precious to Heavenly Father, then you too shall be precious. If God loves His Son, then He must of necessity love and accept you if you are in Him. God necessarily loves the Son. God could as soon cease to be as cease to love His Son. He is God's Son. Remember at His baptism, with whom my soul is well pleased, my beloved Son, His beloved. Jesus is the beloved Son of God, the only begotten. In Him, God the Father is well pleased. God loved him before the foundation of the world. A terrified conscience has rest here. A terrified conscience is safe in Christ. And God will be at peace with that soul. What qualifies Jesus? God himself declares in and through the resurrection that Christ hath suffered enough. God's holy wrath is satisfied. And in His resurrection and ascension, Jesus Christ sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Christ is now alive and He lives forever and is making right now intercession for poor, distressed souls that come to Him. Sinner, Christ's love and compassion and grace are such that we may be sure that He will receive all who come to Him. He said, come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden. Let the little children come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of God. Edwards writes this, if he should not do it, that is Christ, if he should not receive those who trust in him, he would fail in his own undertaking and also of his promise to the Father and to us. He is so full of love and kindness that he is disposed to nothing but to receive and defend us if we come to him. He, de he delights to receive distressed souls that come to Him. His arms are open wide. He delights in the distressed to protect them as a hen 
gathers her chicks under her wings. It is a work that he exceedingly rejoices in because he delights in acts of love and pity and mercy. Listen, Christian and non-Christian. Christian and non-Christian alike, tonight I invite those who are afraid of God's wrath to come to Jesus Christ. How lamentable, how, how sad that you should spend your life in a state of unrest, of fear. How lamentable that you should spend your life in a wretched state of hopelessness, when Christ would shelter you, when He would protect you, and defend you, and anchor you, and enter into the presence of God Almighty on your behalf, if you are willing, if you are willing. People ask, And I've been asked before, where did Christ go when he died? Many have been influenced by the Apostles' Creed that he descended into the nether regions, into hell or Hades. Where did Christ go when he died? Well, his body went into the tomb, that much we know. And his spirit went to God. He says so on the cross. Luke 23, verse 46. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Listen, beloved. What did he do when he committed his spirit up to God? He he entered into the presence of God as a high priest, into the heavenly tabernacle, behind the veil, And from that place, from the holiest holy place, he ripped the heavenly veil in two. And so correspondingly, the earthly veil was torn in two. So that the earthly matched the heavenly. Christ has opened the way a new and living way. Let us come to Him. Let's pray together. Holy and exalted God, what great confidence we have in You, in Your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the anchor of our souls. He ever lives to intercede for us in heaven behind the veil, in your presence, seated at your right hand. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. And so we hold on for dear life to Christ. As an anchor of our soul, dear God, increase our faith and trust, lest we waver, guard our hearts, and hold us fast. As our worship continues, implant the eternal truth of your word down deep into our souls.
This we pray in Jesus' holy and precious name.